Grab your favorite caffeinated beverage and get cozy because you are listening to Mindful as a Mother with Paige Bruce and Lindsay Adams. Hey, Lindsay here. The thing that gives me the most anxiety about raising my son is the fear that the world will try to force him to conform and become someone who is neurotypical passing. That's why in our home, we do everything we can to support him in just being his best self. If he needs to stim, you got it, buddy. If he's having a sensory meltdown, let's cocoon and cancel our plans. Being his best self means trusting himself in a world that will tell him being himself is wrong. That freaking breaks my heart for him. That fear used to paralyze me, but now it just empowers me to fight harder to change how we view and approach neurodiversity as parents. If I can give him a strong enough foundation of self-worth, he'll be resilient and brave enough to be himself. That's what I wish for my child, your child, and every child on this earth, regardless of their neurotype. And that's why we created Responsive Parenting Your Neurodivergent Child, the video series. In this series, we break down how to determine your child's unique needs and how to parent them from a responsive approach rather than an approach that's focused on behavior and punishment. Because instead of trying to fit these kids into the world, we need to make their world work for them. And this course will show you how to do it. It's $20. Check out the link in our show notes. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship. And the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Before we jump into this episode, I want to let you guys know that we recorded this back in March of 2023 with an incredible woman. She's a mother. She's a career woman. She is a cancer mom turned blogger, Sherry Ann. And at the time of this recording, she was affiliated with a foundation called the Warrior Moms Foundation. She is no longer affiliated with that foundation specifically, but I did put the information for you guys to find her and follow her and support her blog in the show notes. So please go check that out. And also, if you feel so inclined and it is on your heart, please donate to Pediatric Cancer Research. That link is also in the show notes. Happy listening. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Mindful as a Mother. I'm here with Lindsay. Hey, hey. And our special guest, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Sherri-Ann Almeida. Perfect. Sherri-Ann is here with us today. She's also known as the Warrior Mom. She wrote a specific book about a specific topic um, that I think is really going to touch you guys and um, just really resonate with so many of us because grief is a topic that I think a lot of us shy away from when really we can embrace it. and really be there as a tribe to support each other. So with that, I'm going to jump in and just say, tell us about you. Who are you? What do you do? Yeah, uh, so I, I I was just a mom and a first-time mom. I was a wife and a career woman. I was actually a physical therapist assistant and a personal trainer. And my husband and I had been married barely a year, and um, we had experienced a very, very early miscarriage, uh, followed by the discovery of Dakota. And um, even in that, she they had trouble finding her. They couldn't find her heartbeat. 
but she was found. She made herself known and um, we had a fantastic pregnancy. We ran together. We were doing, uh, working with my patients and doing squats all day and things were great. And she came into this world with a full cowlick full of hair and uh, we call it a, her mermaid thumb. So she was born with, uh, on her left thumb, it almost looked like a mermaid tail. So she had just a little extra one right here and it looked like a mermaid tail. So we called her a mermaid. And I was off for just a few weeks because I had literally just started my new job when I found out I was pregnant. So I had only had a few weeks at home, but we did fantastic. She was breastfeeding right away. Things were, I would say what you would call normal, you know, uh, she would be with my mom during the day when I was with patients and then um, with my husband and I at night. And we were just kind of doing our thing, right? Figuring out life as a married couple and brand new parents. There were some things that looking back now, I know what they are. But back then, I had no idea what was actually happening. So there were a few times, two to be um, exact in like prominent memory, where she woke up and when I went in her crib to pick her up, she was soaking wet as if she had been submerged in water. So I took her out of, out of her crib and I took her onesie off, but her diaper was completely dry. So now I know that it was a night sweat. And back then, again, first time mom, like I had no idea. And there were two specific times that that happened. She started, she was very mobile, very, very early on. She was uh, rolling over by the time she was three weeks, standing by the time she was two months. So she was just going at it, right? And um, so she did have um, a little bit of a runny nose and uh, a low-grade fever, but she was also, again, everything happened with Dakota very early. She was teething very early. So I just chalked it up to teething and thought, no big thing, right? So we went to her six-month pediatrician appointment, and just about two days before that appointment, I had noticed there were three or four, almost if you took a pen, and you just took your pen and dipped it on the paper like that, very like minimal dots. And they were on her buttock, where right where that line, where that buttock, where your buttock meets your hamstring. And I had noticed, I had mentioned something to my mom and she said she had seen it too, but she didn't think anything of it. So we went to her six month uh, well visit. And this was on April 24th of 2019. The pediatrician had mentioned the low-grade fever, and I told her about the teething and the runny nose and the whole nine, and uh, she had then mentioned, she decided in that moment that there would not be any vaccinations that day due to the low-grade fever. So then she moved on, and she had mentioned that there were the free, three faint green bruises on the right side of her body. Uh, and I mean faint green as in like less than the green of your grass. It was very pale, right? And it was her outer right thigh 
It was uh, her outer rib cage uh, right on her torso and then on her tricep. And then she had a very, uh, this one wasn't faint green. This one was like a light purple right here on her cheek. But again, faint, nothing that was like in your face uh, screaming at you, right? And I, the look that she gave me made me feel quite uncomfortable, almost as if she, like I could feel it, something changed in the room and she felt like something was wrong. So I then assured her, I said, I, I've never put my hands on my child. I would never hurt Dakota. And she's like, oh no, that's not what I'm thinking. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, I would like you to go for blood work. You don't have to go today. Well, by this point, it's one o'clock in the afternoon. I had finished with patients for the day. So I said, well, I can take her right now. And she said, okay, great. So now I'm, I think fear and um, I think fear turned into anger and I just got really mad and I just felt very on edge after leaving that appointment and we had to drive to another location to then get blood work where ironically another one of my coworkers was. So thankfully she was there for the very first time I had to hold Dakota down for blood work. So I thought that was the most traumatic part of our day and uh, we went home. And like I said, I worked for a hospital at the time. So I received the preliminary results and everything was within normal limits. So I'm like, okay, great. We're moving on with our day. We're gonna eat some baby food and move on, right? Again, all of which was, you know, fresh from the farmer's market, blended in my own blender with the breast milk, the whole nine, did everything you're supposed to do. And uh, 4.30 that afternoon, my phone rings and it was the pediatrician. And the very first thing she says is, you need to get Dakota to the nearest emergency room with a pediatric hematologist. Something is wrong with Dakota's blood. Were and you, right. Oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Were you ahead. like, what were you experiencing in this moment? Because I can imagine as a mother, the <laughs> level of panic that I would be having. Pure, pure panic. Like immediately that ball in the back of my throat, um, shaking, hot, red, all of it, you know, and I'm home alone. My husband wasn't home yet. The dog, you know, he's wondering because I'm literally just like throwing stuff in the diaper bag and Thankfully, we had a deep freezer full of breast milk that I just like loaded, like I put literally two bags in the diaper bag because I had no idea what was about to happen and um, flew to the hospital. And so that was the other thing was my two options for the hospital were 30 minutes away um, or going to Philadelphia. And there was no way that was at least an hour and a half away. So I went to the 30 minute white hospital. Um, that plays a part in that, unfortunately the hospital I worked for at the time and the hospital we ended up at, they didn't necessarily play in the same sandbox, right? So that in and of itself became a whole nother thing once we were there, uh, but it was 30 minutes away and that's where I was going. So we walked into that hospital that day April 24th, 2019, not knowing that when those doors closed behind us, Dakota and I would not leave again until June. So we went in and immediately there was just wires and beeping, blood pressure. It was just complete 
mayhem. And I remember my stepdad being with me and he kept, he just kept saying, she's fine. She's fine. And that's just his way, you know? So just over and over again, she's fine. And we spent much of that evening, the early part of that evening in the emergency room. And there were just constant people in and out. And again, she's six months old, you know, I'm a brand new mom. She's a brand new baby. And there's this roller coaster that we're on and you're, everything is just so fast. You can't even, your head's spinning, right? So they have these wires, everything's coming out of her. Doctors are coming in and they're asking us questions about family history. Um, one point, one of the doctors asked about cancer in the family. And I immediately got, you know, the scowl on my face. Like, are you kidding me? Like, is that what you think this is? And he's like, I'm not saying anything at all. I'm just, you know, we're just talking. And, but, you know, I'm just so revved up. Like even now talking about it, I'm bright red, you know, it's just, I just wanted somebody to give me an answer. And all I was getting was questions. So then they had me sit on the, the, the bed with Dakota so I'm basically sitting in a straddle and she's between my legs and they wheel us down this hallway that just so cold makes you lose your breath, you know, and you're already terrified and you have no idea what's happening. Your baby's screaming and crying and we're in an ultrasound room and, you know, it's this gel and um, Dakota's belly is like this big, you know, and they are pushing it down on her and she's screaming and she's crying. And I'm like, got my legs wrapped around her to try to hold her down from kicking and I'm holding her this way. And it was where everybody in the room is just sweating. And it, it's just, it, it was so cold, but it felt like hell. Like it was so hot at the same time. And whilst we're wheeling out of the room, she says, the ultrasound technician says, it's okay. I had cancer when I was a kid too. And I can't even tell you, but I, I felt like all the blood had just dropped like out of me on the ground. And I turned around and I'm like, what? And she, her back was to me and she was already walking away. So that happened. And then but thankfully, you know, because at least somebody said something like I'm so grateful for her because at least she said something that just in a way put me out of my misery in some way because I was like seconds from jumping off a cliff, you know, so they take us back upstairs and they tell us that we're staying, that we're not going home and that this very well could be a virus, but they're not sure and they have to run more tests. So then they take us from the ER up to uh, the fifth floor, which is our pediatric unit. And um, I just remember, again, really, really long hallways, lots and lots of colorful rooms. But we get to this room and there's this big, giant crib. It's blue and yellow and red and all, it, it, to me, it looked like jail. It looked like colorful jail in the middle of the room and I stopped in the doorway and I'm like, there is no way in hell I'm putting her in there. And they were like, you have to. And I'm like, I am not, I will be in there with her. Like that's, this is not happening. You know, like I just, I felt like I was trying to control everything that I could control because everything was completely out of control and I had no idea what was happening, right? 
So on top of it, Dakota was a thumb sucker and she, they basically had her hands bound in like these splints. So she kept trying to get to her thumb and she's smacking herself in the face with these splints. And I'm like, I'm like, she's trying to comfort herself. I can't even comfort her through all these wires. Like it was just, and don't get me wrong. There's so much compassion. There really, really is. It's just in the beginning, they want to just tell you, but they can't and they have to wait. And you're just, you are so incredibly desperate that everything pisses you off. Everything ticks you off. Everything makes you upset. And it could be the littlest thing and you're swinging your bat. You know what I mean? So I'm sitting in this chair. It's like 2.30 in the morning. The nurse is next to me. And I said, please, will you please just put me out of my misery? Please just tell me, like, is this cancer? Like, is that what they're thinking? I said, please. And she's like, mom, I can't tell you. And I'm like, please, please just tell me. Like, I have to know, is my daughter going to die? Please tell me. And she kept her the side of her face to me. She wouldn't look at me. And she just kept typing in her computer. And she said, if this were just a virus, you wouldn't be here. So it was kind of like the gun to my head. It went off. And I was like, okay, like, okay, this is where we're at. We're here. And um, again, that was April 24th. By April 27th, we had an official diagnosis. Uh, her oncologist, so they, how they do it um, outside of the blood, they also have to do what's called a lumbar puncture. And it's this giant needle that goes into their spine. And it also has to test their spine, uh, their spinal fluid because um, cancer especially Dakota's type of cancer, it can inf infiltrate the, um, the barrier. So the spinal fluid for in the spine and in the brain. So it takes a little bit of time for those tests to come back. So in the interim, they were kind of throwing some words around there, but nobody was really saying anything. At one point, um, her one oncologist did say, you know, there's a chance that this could be leukemia, but we, I won't say anything until we know for sure. And on April 27th, he walked in and he said, I'm sorry to inform you, but Dakota has free B cell infantile leukemia. And uh, our whole world shattered. There was a room full of people. I come from an extremely large family and the strongest people in the world that I know were breaking. And he went on to say, there's a very good chance that she could die, but I'm going to use all the tools in my toolbox to save her. And I believed him. I still believe him to this day. He is one of the most incredible men I've ever met in my life. In this moment, though, I just remember handing off Dakota. And I remember saying, I need to get out of here. And everything just went narrow and blurry and I don't know how but I made my my way to a door and then into a hallway and I don't remember the person I met her later <laughs> but she came at me and I said I need to get out of here and she somehow guided me out of the hospital still to this day couldn't even tell you how I got out of that hospital but I made it outside and I just fell to the concrete and just laid there outside the hospital 
breaking, dying, basically. Like my soul was dying. And by the grace of God, uh, my Dakota's godmother, my best friend, found me and brought me back up into a standing position and said, we have to go in. We have to, we have to fight. So that's what we did. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Thank you for being yeah. willing to share that. And I'm sure all of our listeners are going to be on the edge of their seat right now. So could you give us a real time update of Dakota? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So again, this with this was now April 27th, 2019. So we were told that we would live in the hospital more than we would not. So we gave up our home and we had a dog and we lost him too. And we lived in the hospital. We only went home for sometimes a weekend, sometimes a few days, but for the most part, for that first year, we lived in the hospital. And we, infantile leukemia, they, they will tell you that pediatric cancer is rare, and that's a lie. They will tell you that infantile leukemia is rare, and that is not true either. I know because I am one of millions. And um, so in the beginning, because it is infantile leukemia, they had to throw what they call the kitchen sink. So it's like every known poison, known demand, they pump into your baby that's this big, you know? Um, and so they also use steroids in conjunction for leukemia. And they say that steroids alone could take away the leukemia, but it won't keep it away. So that's why it's used along with steroids. And the steroids plumped her up. She was so swollen and so big. And they usually say it increases your appetite, but for Dakota, it did the complete opposite. And she refused to eat when she was on steroids, but she was a Jekyll and Hyde. Um, it was horrible. She was inconsolable and she would just throw her body back like lashing like as if somebody was like whipping her back and she would crawl up me and it was just it was there's nothing worse than watching your child suffer and there's nothing you can do it but sit there and lie to her and tell her it's okay when none of it's okay you don't know if it's going to be okay but your only job in that moment is to tell her it's okay and to somehow make it okay right so we lost her twice due to breathing complications. Uh, Dakota would experience wicked bouts of mucositis, which is blisters. Uh, for the most part, um, you usually see them when they're on the outside, uh, so on their lips or in their mouth. Dakota, they would start on the inside and they run all along your digestive tract, so from your mouth all the way down. So on the outside, it would look like what I call cauliflower heads. It would be like open white blisters. So she would just have blood just pouring from her mouth. And everything that was happening up here was happening down there too. And that was horrific because at risk of infection, because chemotherapy makes you immunocompromised. You can't fight off anything. And they told us right in the beginning, most of the time, these children don't pass away from cancer they pass away from getting an infection because their bodies are so weak. So it was just battle after battle after battle. And uh, the mucositis, she wouldn't swallow. So everything would just build up 
and we lost her once um, due to anesthesia, mucositis, and then the second time was mucositis and morphine. Uh, so Dakota's been on fentanyl, versed, morphine, um, and all of the things that you see on TV about how people react, your baby acts the same way. So that in and of itself is vile. Um, so two years of treatment. Uh, so in the beginning, you they just, they knock you down and give you a break and then knock you down again and then give you a break and it's just repetitive, right? And then that last year, it's three straight weeks of chemo every single day for three weeks straight and then a five-day steroid pulse. So there's never not a day that you're not on your medication and that lasts for an entire year. Dakota, by the grace of God, uh, rang the bell on April 24th, 2021. She is currently 22 months in remission. We are still seen every two months for blood draws. Um, Dakota knows it as a poke, even if it, today she asked me, she said, if it, tomorrow's Wednesday? I said, yeah. And she said, do I have to get a poke tomorrow? Because the last time she had a poke was on a Wednesday. And I'm like, no, it's not a poke day. Um, so that's her life. That's what she knows to her. It's normal. You know, um, she will not be considered cured for, they say it's supposed to be five years after you finish treatment. So technically Dakota still has another three years to be considered cured. However, one of the things that's not discussed is I know plenty of parents who they reached that five-year mark and it still came back. And if it didn't come back as the original diagnosis, it came back as another form of cancer because many of the treatments that they receive also leave them at a high risk of developing a secondary cancer. And this is for the rest of her life. You know, I think um, people think you're done and you're done and you get to throw the glitter and the confetti and yeah, like that's great, but it's never over. You, I, I explain it and I express it in that it's like there's a pistol at your back. And you know it's there, it's constantly pushing. Sometimes it's worse than others, but it's always there. And you're just waiting for him to pull the trigger and, and make your life hell all over again. Not that this isn't a sweet version of it, but at least she's here, you know what I mean? So she is here. She is the strongest, most incredible person that I know, um, along with many, many others. And uh, I'm just grateful for every single day that she's alive. Um, however, we do talk about mortality a lot together. And, you know, I've caught a lot of flack for that. But when you're told your baby you could die, I don't know. I don't know how you don't make them not scared, right? So Dakota's not afraid of death. She's not afraid of heaven. We talk about it all the time. Just the other day, she was looking out the kitchen window and she goes, mommy, I see God. And in those moments, like my heart sinks because I'm scared that she really does. And maybe like that means she's going to go away. <laughs> um, but she's not scared. Um, she's not scared if we have to be apart. And if that happens, at least at least I got some time with her. And at least she's not terrified of where she might have to go. And that's just a part of our life. It just is what it is. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. We're so grateful that you came on to share your story and to hear that Dakota, you know, rang the bell. 
which mm -hmm. I've heard those that don't know, that's, you ring the bell when you leave, right? When you leave the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, like when you finish, when you, you take your last, your last chemo. Yeah. You get to ring the bell. And yeah. out of this extremely traumatic experience that your family has gone through, that you have gone through, you also wrote a book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, when you're, when, when, when I was in treatment and when any family is in treatment, you might be told that, hey, that there's a family like you and they're just a few doors down. But because of HIPAA, you have no access to each other, uh, which is really hard because you're sitting there as a woman literally breaking and you have no idea if your child's going to live. And there's another woman who's right down the hall and you're just feeling like me too. And man, I could use a hug and you're not allowed, you know, and it's just a horrible isolating, extremely lonely feeling. So somebody had sent me adult coloring books and I can't draw a stick figure to save my life. So, um, but I've always been a very like motivating person. Uh, like I said, I was a personal trainer and a cheerleader and a gymnast. So um, I would take the coloring books and I would write motivational messages on them and have the nurses send them to the other moms for me, like go deliver them. And it wasn't until we were about six months into treatment that I started meeting other women like myself in clinic when we were doing like outpatient chemo. And we just started doing this, you know, FaceTiming and talking to each other and texting each other and just leaving a free space where we could say like, my God, today just sucks. Like today's really hard and I'm really struggling. And you know that that other woman on the other line knows exactly what you're saying because much of the time you feel like the rest of the world thinks you're crazy or you're just feeling sorry for yourself or you're just sad, but they just don't, they don't get it, you know? Um, so I had started, um, I had started Dakota's page with just a way to give people an update without having to text, you know, 50,000 people. And much of the time, I've always been a writer. I I've always liked writing, um, but it was something that I kind of kept hidden. And much of the time when I wrote on Dakota's page, I felt as if I was filtering myself. I wasn't saying exactly what I wanted to say, exactly how I wanted to say it. And I really needed that outlet to just be raw and in your face with no apologies. So I created Warrior Moms, which was exactly that. And the very first post actually says that I'm about to say all the things that you're not supposed to say. And what was crazy was that blog ended up catching a lot more traffic. Um, and I think people, some people were really drawn to, to the realness without me filtering or holding back. Um, so while we were in treatment, I had these two blogs and then we had also created a Facebook page uh, for warrior moms like ourselves, cancer moms from our hospital to be able to connect. So it was a way for us to get around HIPAA, to get around the red tape but actually be able to connect with each other. And when we got out of treatment, I was reached out to by a few people and they just said, you know, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I'm like, yeah, sure. But I, you know, I, I am nobody. I'm nobody cool. I am not like that. Like, it's just not me at all. Um, but it kept coming up and it kept coming up. And finally, like a few names were, were dropped in front of me and I reached out and started exploring and I did exactly that. I explored a little bit for my options and 
I will say this, that the big wigs that I reached out to and that I had a few meetings with, I felt as if they just didn't understand the big picture. For me, it wasn't just about this book because I knew if I was going to do this, I, I have a lot to say. And there wasn't, there was no way that everything that I wanted to say was going to be in one book. It was going to need to be multiple books. And even so, our, our journey is still continuing on. You know, there's still so much more of the story to be told. And I don't know how to shut up. So I'll continue to tell it, you know. Um, that and just even warrior moms in and of itself and giving those those mothers a platform and a voice and helping them to be seen and helping them to be heard. And I just felt as if some of the people I was speaking to weren't understanding my big picture, you know? So I actually ended up going with a publisher, Dana Cruz. Um, so Bellisteri Publishing and her and her husband are actually, they're, siblings of pediatric cancer warriors. So they started their own publishing company for people just like me who live in the pediatric cancer world and have a lot to say about it. So yeah, so I've been working with Dana since April of last year and our, we went to pre-sale right around December and then we actually um, went to publish on February 1st. So it's out there. It's called ICU. One of what's one of the things I say all the time is ICU or ICU mama. And um, it is our journey from the beginning until about the COVID area. So era, you know, uh, just that's when I life changed. I think for everyone, but uh, there are no books on how to battle cancer and a pandemic at the same exact time. And uh, I will delve into that in our in the next book. So yeah, so I ended up writing the book I See You, and I also I'm proud to say uh, Warrior Moms became an official 501c3 just a few weeks ago. So we are official. So there was some light in the dark. <laughs> That's incredible. And for those that don't know, a 501c3 is a nonprofit. So mm -hmm. now Warrior Moms is a nonprofit, which started as a blog. Is that right? Yeah, so it actually, that just started out as a Facebook page for our moms to be able to find each other from our hospital. And when we finished up treatment, um, you know, I went out to dinner with a lot of my cancer moms from my hospital. And that's just really what we would do. We would FaceTime and talk to each other. And then mm -hmm. I would put together like a wine day or a coffee date, you know, and that's it was just nothing crazy. It was just something simple like that. And while we were out to dinner, um, I, you know, my husband and I had decided when we got out of treatment, there was a lot of other things that that happened. Again, more that will be told later because what what this does to your marriage, what this does to you personally as a person, men and women grieve completely differently. And um, those are all other things that need to be navigated and need to be brought to the forefront because I feel like people don't you don't want to talk about them and, or they feel ashamed for putting it out there and there's nothing to be ashamed of, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. So we had decided when we got out of treatment that we couldn't heal in the place that reminded us of all the things that came to kill us. So we decided to pack our bags and find warmth and sunshine and just 
see if we my the way my husband put it was he wanted to hit the reset button so we packed up and left PA and we moved to North Carolina and greatest decision we ever made by the way and I was out to dinner with my cancer moms before we left and they asked me they said well you're our person like you do everything so now what are we going to do and I said what do you guys want to do and they said why don't you keep going, keep building, you know, there's got to be women all over the country that are like us, right? So I came down here and I started a few other chapters. So we are now nationwide. And all we do really is just help cancer moms from their hospital, connect with other cancer moms from their hospital. And I in no way want to tell anybody how to navigate this or how to do it. I want everybody to be able to do it in their own way, whatever works for them. Um, but my job is just to simply do exactly what I did, just help put the hand out and say, hey, I'm here too. Can we FaceTime over a cup of coffee and talk about how much our life sucks right now? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you connect moms yeah. with similar experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And I, absolutely. and I know a couple of times it's said, oh, I'm just a mom. I'm a mom. But there's so much power in being able to see another woman for what they're really experiencing. So yeah. I'm just a mom, but really there's so much more to that message behind there. It's like, I really see what you're experiencing. I see the pain that you have and that in it of itself, it can be the most healing. Uh, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I, that's, I think there's something to be said about being in the same room with a woman who hears you without you saying a word at all. It's so incredibly powerful and, and healing. You know, this life that we, we have no choice but to isolate ourselves because that's the only way to keep our child alive. But knowing that there's another woman who is holding you without physically holding you, uh, it, really, it really helps. You know, I think there's, I, I speak on behalf of many women just like myself who, have had God awful thoughts about ourselves because this life is, it is not a life that anybody wants to live, you know? And when that woman reaches through the phone and says, girl, I'm here, like me too, you know, it, it reminds you that you still have breath in your lungs and that you're still here. And that helps, helps a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, can you tell us um, where to find you where other cancer moms might be able to find Warrior Moms or a chapter of Warrior Moms, where we can purchase your book. Sure, absolutely. So um, you can visit uh, www.warriormomsunited.com. All of my information and how to find me is right there. When you send an email, I get that email. When you want go uh, into the contact us and you just want to send me a message, I will receive that message. I will reply. I make sure I reply to all of them. Uh, I see you is also available on the website. And even if you are just another cancer mom and you want to connect with another cancer mom, but you're not sure how, you can again send a message through there and I will help you navigate that in the best way that I can. So, yeah. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on today and feeling willing to share the most vulnerable, vulnerable parts of yourself and your story to thank create you. a community of support. Thank you. I appreciate you guys being willing to, to look and to listen. And I just encourage everyone to do exactly what you guys have done and uh, 
not not change the channel when the bald kid comes on you know that there's a whole community of us out here and we're real people just like you and a hug goes a long way so thank you <laughs> thank you so much thank you Thanks for coming to Mindful as a Mother podcast. If you'd like more of us and Mindful as a Mother, you can find Paige at Instagram at Parenting with Paige and Lindsay at Linz underscore Adams LCSW. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and in our Facebook group, Creating Community and Smashing Parental Stigma, Embracing Mindful Motherhood and Positive Parenting. Thanks so much and see you next time.